Hey, this is Leave the Bottle. It's a podcast that we do every whenever we can. My name is Randy. And I'm Jim. And our guest this episode is Mike Wood. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Mike is a Connecticut school teacher, writer, jack of a few trades here and there. One of my resident Facebook snarky uh, friends. You say I and jack off for a trade? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's between you and your maker. <laughs> I think teaching and education is a fabulous topic because the wealth, the true wealth of a society is indeed the people coming up and what they learn. That's what they tell us. We're all products of an education system. And you're Tren- the front line. Trench. You're on the front line. <laughs> it's, it's like tre- trench warfare, like World War One. Mike, what uh, what grades do you teach? I teach uh, sixth grade, just English primarily. Oh, my sympathies. I remember myself at six, in sixth grade, and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> but um, yesterday, I have to say yesterday, you, you shared that Jimmy Kimmel video. Oh, what teachers really want to say? Yeah, and that was hysterical. And it was like, because it always goes back to uh, who's responsible in the end for you know a kid's behavior. Because nowadays the fingers point in in opposite directions. You know, you have the parents who are just blaming you guys and thinking, okay, well you're responsible for you know them for more than the six hours a day that you already are. And you know, teachers are like, but we can only get what we're brought to us already. Right. Yeah, that seems to be the general understanding. And sometimes, you know, there are teachers who go above and beyond, and then there's parents who, you know, fail. But overall, I mean, I don't see it much different than when I was growing up. You know, 30 years ago, being in school, you know, we had teachers who taught us manners and, you know, please and thank yous. And then we had, you know, parents who were real jerks, you know, to our friends and stuff. But I don't see like this dramatic shift where suddenly I just think that there's more, you know, you get more notice when a teacher does something wrong, it becomes a Facebook, uh, adventure, you know, doing something like, you know, sending a kid home with a note pinned to their chest about where their glasses are. You know, those things are probably happening forever, but, you know, now it gets, goes viral and uh, makes everybody look bad. But at the same time, they were looking bad 50 years ago too, I think. Mike, I'd like to ask you a question. Do sick graders have uh, cell phones and would they be whipping them out in class to film you or? I, I said, so you hear, it's never happened to me, but it, yeah, there's, I mean, every single one of them has a phone. Uh, we don't, we ask that they're out of sight, but, uh, you know, depending on your definition, you know, some teachers, if they see the outline in the back pocket of a kid, that's not out of sight for them. And they want it, they take the phone away and others, unless it's, you know, physically in their face, they're not going to, you know, worry about it. Well, just a quick data point. My wife teaches MBA students, so they're in their 20s, low 20s, and she has to occasionally interrupt and say, Okay, that's enough. Close the laptop. Because they're on Facebook and stuff during the class. Now, this is not the same thing because they're not in their formative years. You know, they're in a MBA you know, or in a business school. It's not the same impact. I think what you're doing in a certain way is way more important because you're in the formative time. And I mean, that's, wow, I, I bow down to you. <laughs> that's scary because I also work with a couple of colleges and one of the, you know, the teachers that I talked to there, like, they're just the kid. They feel like their students are equally <laughs> ill-prepared and equally, uh, you know, reliant on technology and you know, using it as a distraction. And then their parents are still calling. I went to a class myself where teacher passed back papers and the kid got a grade that he didn't like. And he comes in after the break with his phone and hands it to the professor. He's like, "Here, my mom wants to talk to you." And I'm like, "You cannot be serious. Like, you're 20 something years old and you still have your mommy, you know, complaining." And the teacher, she's like, I'm not touching that phone. She's like, you know, you that's what you got. You got your grade. Accept it. But nobody's used to being told that they're not awesome, you know. Uh, I think that's like that to me, that the biggest change I see now is kids are kids. Parents are parents. Times everybody wants to think that their time is so far different than what the generations were before them and the generations before that. You know, and I think basically people are the same. However, one huge change I see now, I think, is when I was a kid in school, what my teachers said was basically the law when it came to my parents. 
that was that for that. If my, you know, if I got a detention or if I got sent out into the hall, which happened a lot, um, my parents just assumed I was the wrong guy in this scenario. If I got, you know, a certain grade, my parents were like, well, you probably deserved that. And same thing with sports. Like nowadays, if some, if a kid doesn't make cheerleading or they don't make the baseball team, you know, parents are getting ready to go to their lawyers and sue and all of this and all when I was a kid, you know, if I didn't make the when I did when I didn't make the baseball team because I couldn't hit a curveball, my old man was like, "Well, you know what? You couldn't hit the curveball. You know, you, you got you know, try harder, and maybe next year you'll succeed." But it seems like that's the change I see now between um, when we were all younger. Is that the, the accountability that way seems to have shifted away from the kids and the parents and to somebody else has to be to blame. Yeah, we were, we were allowed to fail. We were allowed to cry. We were allowed to fall off something and hurt ourselves. You know, now yeah. like they sell knee pads for kids like who are two years old learning how to walk so they don't hurt their knees. You know, it's like in like little marionette strings that you can hold underneath their armpits. To keep exactly. Them up, right? you know, exactly. Like, oh, like, bye. See ya. It's like you, uh, your last, uh, uh, your last uh, blog post last was last week or the week before. Kind of delved into that whole subject about kids not being allowed to fail now and what that sets them up for later in life when the real world says, "I don't give a shit. I, I'm not your, I'm not your parent. I'm not your grandparent doting on you. I don't have to. I because I need somebody who can do the job now. And all of a sudden, they've spent twenty years, you know having their pee pee held for them and your butt wiped for them. Jim, and they're like, wait a minute, you know, I'm not glamorous after all. Jim uh, and Mike, um, let me ask you, when did you move out of your parents' home or when did you first get a job compared to say today where we all know, you know, every, all uh, young adults even in their twenties are staying at home longer. So they don't have to Shut face. Up, I'm doing a podcast. Leave me alone. <laughs> so <laughs> excellent. So uh, and, and bring me a sandwich. Yeah, sandwich. Cut the crust off, please. <laughs> Busy. You say please. You say please. Oh my God. He's well trained. I don't know what. What you answer that first, Mike? Go ahead. Yes, uh, I was old. Um, I was thirty. I think uh, twenty-eight, maybe thirty. There you go. I was. Uh, I was. I, yeah, I wasn't like a loser. Like I had a job, you know, and paid a lot of, uh, you know, I paid everything on my own. I didn't pay rent, but uh, yeah, I didn't move out until I bought a house. I was able to save up money, you know, and basically go from my parents' house to my own house. There's no renting. There's no flopping at friends' houses. Um, I went to college, but didn't live in a dorm. I commuted. Um, yeah, I think I, I want to say I was 29 or 30. But see, that's a different situation. That's not being a freeloader. And not everybody that's no, at home, me. there's... You know, I mean, there's different circumstances. I mean, it's tough when people. It's kind of like uh, the whole Paul Ryan with the hot lunch thing that you know, if you if you didn't brown bag it to school, you don't care about your kids. I mean, there's a million different reasons why somebody can't brown bag it to school and has to have you know a subsidized lunch or something like that. And it's the same thing with people. Um, I think, anyways, after college, when you have all this debt and all of a sudden the job market is just not what it was 15, 20 years ago. It's unrealistic to instantly expect people to be out the door. But to answer your question, Randy, I was 17. And when I, when I moved out the first time and finally when I was 18 for good, I was working overnight as a, on a Howard Johnson's in a rest area, cooking third shift and taking some college classes during the day and, and moved in with this much older woman. But I haven't lived at home really overall since I was probably 18. Uh, I was too young. I'll be honest. It was, and it made it much harder for me. You know, I would have loved to have been able to, you know, finish college and then, you know, move out after that. But I was also, I was a pain in the ass and I was too independent and I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. And the job market was a lot different than though. 35 years ago, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't have a job 35 years ago, 30 years ago, it was because you didn't want to work. Now, it, now it's very different. And they were hiring. It's, you know, I mean, you look in the 90s when Clinton was president and, and uh, Silicon Valley was booming. 
people were living two and three hours drive away from where they worked because they couldn't afford to live like in San Jose and San Francisco and all this stuff. They, so they were doing five and six hour round trips to drive every day. Now, you know, there's, you know, a lot of those same people now have had to walk away from their houses and, you know, it's, I, I you know, I would not want to be an 18 year old right now. Oh, I, I, I would hundred percent join you with that. Uh, just to complete the cycle here, what happened to me was I wanted to move out when I was 17 or 18, well, 18, I guess. First of all, I was, I did a while, a year in the air force. When I got back, I paid rent, you know, uh, symbolic rent, let's say, because uh, my parents had a basement, uh, kind of like a little apartment with a bit, with a bathroom and everything. And, uh, you know, he could bring girls down there and all that. But then there were certain conditions. But anyway, uh, so I, you know, paid whatever, some stipend of rent. But by about 20, yeah, I wasn't old enough to drink. So when I was 20, I was already out in California uh, working as a musician and so on. And my point wasn't to condemn people who are stay at home until they're 29, 30 or whatever. That's, that's neither here nor there. It's a question of what you're, what you're doing. There's been a couple of movies, by the way, about um, kicking people from the nest. I can't remember. There's one kind of famous one about uh, a kid who stays home and he stays home and finally his mother has to figure out a way to get rid of him. But anyway... The p- well, it's also a cultural thing, yeah. though, because, I mean, you look over in Italy, and it's it's un- almost unheard of for Italian men to leave their house until they get married, and mm-hmm. frequently that could be 35 or 40 or later, so, I mean, there's that cultural aspect of it as well, but, you know, it's, but here in America, anyways, I don't know about in France where you are, but here in America... Same, same. It's, is, it, is it the no, same? No, no, you stay. But this is the current economy is what I'm saying is that right yeah. now, you know, like uh, Mike's situation was different, I would say, compared to today. Today, almost everybody does this because you have to. And by the way, this is not people who are going to university. This is people who are doing nothing. They're staying out late, they, you know, things that we would have wanted to do if we were in that position, which is fine, sure. which is fine. The problem is getting back to uh, what you opened as a topic. The problem is the expectations that you're getting. And, I mean, I lived with a guy who was my cousin, and he literally did not know how to change a light bulb. When the light bulb went bad, because his parents did everything for him, and we're talking about people who were in their young 20s, uh, didn't know how to change a light bulb. He was amazed. I've, I've met people in those days who were amazed that, oh, you just open this can and put it you know, in a pot and heat it up. You know, like they had never been... I don't know. But, but that's also the parents because the parents aren't giving them the life tools uh, that you, you need. Uh, like I, I do the laundry and I go to the laundromat quite often. And I can see sometimes like these women looking at me as I'm piling stuff into the, oh, I can, I've actually had women come up to me. You're putting too many things in that washing machine. <laughs> young, young man, you're putting too many things in that washing machine. And I'm thinking to myself, well, my mom had me doing laundry when I was literally like 10, 11 years old. That was that was part of my chores. That I had a chore list every week because for years it was just my mom and I. And so I don't know how that works nowadays. I don't know if kids, based on the few that I know, I don't think that works that way anymore. But I used to have written down a chore list every week and I had to check it off. And that was a way of, number one, of helping, and number two, getting allowance. I mean, so I don't know if you guys, did you guys have chore lists? Mike? We had, I'm sorry, I just, if we wanted clean laundry, we washed our clothes. You know, like there was, at a certain point, it's just you're old enough to do it. You know, the driveway got shoveled, and we didn't get paid to shovel our own driveway. It's like, you want me to bring you just out? you got to shovel the driveway so we can get out of here. I don't, you know, I don't remember even getting an allowance. It was just, that was the expectation, and uh, I, I don't remember even being reluctant or bitter about it. It just seemed like that's just what we did. Um, you know, of course, my mom did all the cooking and stuff like that, but it was never a, you know, she'd go dust the house, and okay, there was you know, really no complaint about it. So you didn't even, so you didn't get an allowance, so they just gave you money as they felt you needed it? Yeah, except so I had a job since I was 14, so I always yeah. had my own money for those kind of things, but, uh, you know, when it came to big, per- like, they bought my school clothes, stuff like that, and, you know, if I wanted to look cool in a better jacket, then I had to buy my own, but... Did you buy your first car? Um, no, but I had to pay my insurance. I told my parents' first two cars, so they were kind of done with me by that point. <laughs> <laughs> I told my first two cars, my parents' cars, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's, that was uh, my first car 
actually uh, I paid for, but I paid through for um, a life insurance settlement when my father passed. But I had to pay for the insurance and all of that kind of stuff. But I wasn't until I was 17. I wasn't allowed to drive. And in Connecticut, you could drive at 16. But I wasn't. I was like 17 and four or five months or something like that. And frankly, you know what? It was doing me a favor because. Uh, it's uh, my wife and I were just having a conversation the other day. What age should kids be to drive? You know, first of all, I started at like 25 and up, <laughs> but you know, I don't think 16. Uh, you know, to me, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand with the whole responsibility and irresponsibility. I don't know when you. To me, it's like at least 17, if not 18, because I think responsibility starts when your mistakes are solved by you, you know, at 16, like, it's still, it, your parents are the ones who are going to get sued, so ultimately, it comes back on them, so I would think the same thing, like, once you're 18, legally an adult, and you, you know, you get arrested, you, you're an adult, you're not, you know, getting a, under, well, as a minor, you know? Well, it's like, I started working at 14 also, like, in restaurants, outside of, uh, you know, after school, kind of, you know, a couple hours at a time, you couldn't work for that many hours at a, at a pop, um, but from when I was 18, the drinking age was 18. So it was, you know, so it was, it was very, very different. And, and the thought then of, wow, 18-year-olds going to the bars and getting hammered and driving. It's a miracle. I can't believe that I made it out alive, frankly. I, and, you know, I just, I can't. I can't believe when I look back to when I was 18 and 19 and 20 years old, and I was working and going to school, but I was partying hard, too. And, you know, wake, waking up the next day and you're like, looking outside to make sure your car was there because you're like, oh, I don't remember how I made it home last night. You know, and it's like, it's it's funny in an abstract, but it's also terrifying in another one. I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe I just, you know, I put myself at that jeopardy. I put other people out there at that jeopardy. And then you just go back out the next night and you did it all over again. And it's just... I think that where I grew up, I had my I've had got my license when I was 15. I think you had to be 16 to lose the learner's permit thing and have you and drive alone. Uh but I've been driving since I was 15 and alone uh, since I was 16. By the way, I hate driving. I've told you that before and I've driven enough for a lifetime. I really am sick to death of driving. But the point is um yeah, when I was 16, I was I I think I was extremely lucky. Not to have accidents, not because so much for the drinking, because I wasn't a big drinker then, certainly less than now. No, kidding, kidding. <laughs> My darling wife is listening to this. I'm joking. But um, I wasn't big on that or even smoking weed or anything like that. But I just, you don't have the judgment, man. And uh, as, as Jim, uh, with his article, uh, his um, piece in Medium called uh, The Day You Ki- what what is his exact name? You, oh, your distracted driving killed exactly. me. Exactly. Well, there's there's also, that could have been called your irresponsible driving killed me because we didn't have cell phones. But man, we were, we were crap. I mean, because you don't, an adolescent, except for the very, very exceptional one, has absolutely no concept of the responsibility of, of driving a couple of tons of metal around. They just don't. That's fine because it's normal. Um, the thing that infuriates me is when somebody who's like between 30 and 70 has no concept of the reality of that. And that means talking on your cell phone. It means screwing around with Google Glass. Um, we've talked about this a little bit before, at least online anyway, which is that um, there's this big thing about people who are into glass saying, oh, I can drive. I've driven. And then another guy who had it said, I tried it and I, I really don't want anybody to drive. Mm-hmm. Point being... I don't want you to decide what you can do with your two tons when I'm crossing the street, okay? Right. So, you know, this is a problem that's a big problem when you're an adolescent. But I'm seeing that it beca- it seems to be becoming a problem with adults now, where they don't even understand that, hey, this is not a joke. You could kill me with this. Well, I've stopped, I've stopped be honest, since that incident happened to me in January, mm-hmm. and since I wrote the uh, story about it, and I had... I have had uh, several hundred people write me privately an email with stories of uh, them being hurt. Mm-hmm. And one girl wrote me a few weeks ago and her boyfriend was killed. Mm-hmm. He was just, and she was like very badly hurt in the whole nine yards. Since then, I'm not going to say I was a big texter before, but since then I have uh, basically, I haven't texted at all when I'm driving. And, uh, 
because it's a because it's a it's a massive responsibility you know and the last thing I want is my mom getting that phone call or my wife getting that phone call but you know it's like it's, I'm kind of it's, it's, when I was a kid and I've never had an accident I've had a lot of speeding tickets but I've never had an accident and I'm you know knocking on my head now because I don't want to go out of here today and have one <laughs> but I've, you know I've been driving 35 years now and no accidents but uh, you know, many times, uh, some close ones, but I think back to the whole partying aspect. I mean, what was the first concert, rock concert you guys went to? Either one of you. I'm trying to go back. First, 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 uh, oh, uh, Bad Company. Oh, Paul Rogers. Oh my God. That was no, it was a new guy. Oh, it was the guy after <laughs> Paul Rogers. Oh, you're young, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, you're a kid. Randy, I have a son first? older than you, Mike. Um, God, you know what? I don't remember. It was oh, you know, it was probably the the Trash Men because Minneapolis, and that's not a band that that many people have heard of. So I don't even know if we drove. Oh. We probably had to get Mother to take us or something. I don't, I can't even remember. <laughs> that was high school. Well, that was my yeah, my first rock concert. My mom had to drop me off in New Haven. It was Kiss in uh, 1977, but uh, we. I was thinking about the driving and, and, and drinking and, and getting high and like going to concerts. That was an integral, for me anyways, in the 70s in high school, that was an integral part of our existence was, you know, hey, you know, Yes is coming or, you know, Ted Nugent is coming or something like Ooh. that. And we're getting, and we're, yeah, Boo. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Wildest concert I ever went to was Ted Nugent at the New Haven Coliseum in 1979. And because the fans were so rowdy at the show, um, I don't know if Mike's been probably to the New Haven Coliseum before it was torn down, but there was a parking garage above it that was many levels, and they never had any fencing around the sides of it for many, many years. Well, at the Nugent concert, people were thrown beforehand down into the streets because the streets were below uh, coming into the Coliseum. People were throwing beer bottles and golf balls and all this other <laughs> shit. I mean, we're talking like a hundred feet up in the air yeah. and trying to hit cop cars and all that sure. stuff. So because of that, they put fencing in. But uh, when we were leaving, we were leaving and we're in my buddy's car and we're all, you know, we're stoned and we're drunk and we're, you know, buzzing and all stuff. And he's got a station wagon and I'm leaning out the back of it and I'm giving a finger up to all the people <laughs> up above. And all of a sudden a beer bottle comes down and smashes into the top of that car and it's his parents' car. And he's like, what the... What, the, what are you doing? And because it, it made a huge dent in the roof and all that. So I'm like, well, hey, dude, I mean, I'm really sorry, man. He's like, i got to explain that to my parents. I'm like, well, you just tell them some asshole threw a beer bottle on top of the car. What are you going to do about it? Sounds like Ferris you know? Bueller's day off to me. Yeah, but I mean, but that was an integral part of the equation back then. But also cops weren't nearly as strict about, you know, the things that they are now strict about. Yeah, I don't think, you know what, cops, and it's a tough job, and I have respect and all of that. I don't mean to imply otherwise. But at the same time, boy, some of the policing has gotten out of hand. I didn't want to go there. But I'm just saying that when we were kids, they were tough, but it was a very simple, you know, you're right, you're wrong type thing. Now, you know, they're pepper spraying pregnant women who are, you know, on Occupy Wall Street or whatever. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. I, wanna, I wanted to ask Mike a question about what he, when he sees, so you, the, the kids come in, you're at your day job. The kids come in and you watch them filing in, you watch how they behave. Do, don't you see, you seem to imply that you don't really see that much difference between when you were a kid, of course, you're a young guy. I can pretty much guarantee you that when I was in like grade school, we were definitely way less sophisticated. We knew nothing about a lot of things that kids today know about because of the internet or because of TV or cable or whatever. Uh, what are your thoughts a little bit about when you see the kids file into class, maybe the first day or whatever you want to uh, to bring to bring to us on that? I think as far as like. You know, maturity level, like, you know, not as far as being mature, like handling responsibility, but physical maturity and, you know, what they're interested in really has, to me, like, I feel like I was maybe a late bloomer, but, you know, there might have been one or two sixth grade boys and a few sixth grade girls when I was growing up, you know, that had any interest in each other. And uh, now it's pretty much the opposite, where there's one or two who, you know, boys and girls are still icky. And the kids that I find myself talking to parents about say, oh, you know, she's a little bit more immature than her friends. She really is the one who is age appropriate, in my experience, you know, compared to these kids who are, you know, kind of been conditioned to, you know, sort of develop a little quicker. 
Um, there's a good. So yeah, the there's got to exactly. there's got to be a pressure to the sexual thing. I mean, without going into any details, got to be way more pressure now because of the way things are communicated. When I was a kid, yeah, I mean, first of all, we weren't interested in at sixth grade. We were not interested in the the opposite sex or in sex. We didn't know what sex was. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Tell us. Tell us. Let's hear it. No, no. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I we hear stories today and I don't want to even go there either. But my point being that um here, the point will come out with this very short story, which is we were I was in a car with uh a friend of mine and his daughter who was very young. I don't remember her, her exact age, she's already, you know, plenty of makeup and kind of a sex bomb look, and she was way too young to me to have that look. But the point is, uh we were she was going to go to some city, and what did she ask me of all the things, you know, normally they would maybe ask you about, I don't know, some, you know, what kind of bands or what? She said, uh, how's the shopping there? You know, she's like 13 years old with her phone and all. When I was that age, what, the girls weren't interested in shopping. I mean, nobody talked about designer brands and all. So I think that the general, my general impression is that, first of all, youth is a lot shorter. Your youth the one that the people experience, boy, it just seems to be way much. It's, it seems to be cut off by about four or five years from when we were kids. I don't know about you, Mike, but for our old no, timers. I agree 100% agree. Yeah, I was telling kids that too. It's part of like, you know, enjoy this time. Don't be in such a rush. The stuff that you're trying to get to, which you're not even able to handle just yet, is going to come at a time where you're actually going to be able to appreciate it. And you know, just take your time. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. I've got I've got a niece who's in fifth grade right now, and uh, she's – extraordinarily bright very very smart uh she's up on the technology and so forth and i that's i've said that to her more than a few times enjoy now because you know the time is going to come soon enough when you're getting up on monday morning and you're getting ready to go punch that clock at nine o'clock or whatever and hopefully it's doing something you like but it may you know be something that you have to do which is not the same thing at all uh but it's really hard, I think, for like these kids now because with it, they have so much technology that we didn't, that they can see so much now that we couldn't see in so many realms. And you get National into Geographic was my big source of porn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I was telling in the last, I don't know if you heard, but I was telling them the last time about the story about my father's Playboys and how I was able to, you know, purview them before uh, he got to see them. You know, and back then it was like that was the big huge thing. And occasionally there would be a penthouse or something like that because that was even racier. But now, <laughs> <Racy. laughs> it was even racier. Well, I'm even I'm even using that term. But now, kids on their cell phones, you can't put enough blockers out there for kids if they want to find this stuff. They're going to find this stuff. And if I had had that stuff at my hot little fingers in sixth grade. You can bet your ass I would have been. You know, there's not a doubt in my mind. I would have been one of those little, you know, little pervs on my phone, you know, looking up, you know, for boobies are us, you know, and big butt or whatever. I would have been doing that. And there's not a doubt in my mind. And, you know, I don't have kids. And I'm kind of glad because if I had kids that were anything like me, I'd be freaking scared out of yeah. my mind no. every freaking moment. No, and I think that the big deal, this is not a judgment in any way on kids. I mean, I, first of all, I think it'd be very tough to have, to be a child now, to be in fifth or sixth grade. But the other thing that that's serious to me is that I think that girls have to be, if if not sixth grade, not far from there, you know, this is a huge pressure because pretty soon it's going to be, should I do it with them or not? I mean, my God, we that was barely happening at 16, let alone, you know, sixth, well, sixth grade is uh, 11, right? Something like that, 11 years old, 12. It, this was not, when I was a kid, there, we had no idea, as far as I know, none of the girls or boys did. And we weren't that interested. The, but the point is, uh, so we're losing this youth because now there's this pressure and uh, as you said, Mike, they can't handle, I mean, there's no way, no matter how much makeup a girl's going to wear at 12 years old or 13 or whatever, they're just emotionally, it's impossible to be, well, it's hard to be that mature. Uh, there may be a few out there who are, who can, who actually handle this in a lucid manner, going, I'm not going to do this right now, it's not the right time or whatever. But I mean, that's got to be one in a hundred. Hey, Mike, that's you have a, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say I still think a lot of that. I mean, I could be very naive. I mean, my daughter's 19 now. There's like 
I really feel like a lot of these stories and things that we are assuming are true, I think a lot of it, are, it's getting blown out of proportion. It's like one or two situations, and they kind of cast aspersions on all kids. And I really don't think it's this, I think they're, you know, they like to talk a good game, but I really don't think that they're backing it up with actual actions. I have a feeling it's more of a, you know, boast, but there's no actual, nothing to back it up. That's a great point, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, my wife and I were living in Florida uh, 12, 13 years ago, and there was, there was a big community right there. And it used to, in the mornings, the bus stop, because there they actually had bus stops. I don't know about you, Mike, but where I live, there are no bus stops. It's it's the end of everybody's driveway is the new bus stop. It's like, what the hell is wrong? What, you can't walk up the street. That's a whole other ramble that I'm going to go on about. <laughs> where the, what the hell is so wrong that your Johnny and Mary can't go up the street to the bus stop? I did it. You did it. We all did it. No, um, that the driver waits for the kid to get into the house now. Where so if you're sitting behind in the car, and the kid isn't in the rush, she's just walking along. It's it's like I'm late for work. God damn it, get moving here. Again, the little kids like waving goodbye to mom for the seventy seventh time up the driveway, and I mean we're a whole line of us because where I live anyway, it's a little country town. Mike knows where I live, and so if you're stuck, you're stuck. That's it, and you're not going anywhere. And meanwhile, you know, they're, or they'll, the parent will be at the end of the driveway in the car, nice and warmed up for the kid. So the kid goes right from the nice warm car to the nice warm bus. You know, you know I'm surprised that they don't have a little space age technology to get them the 10 steps from the end of the driveway into the bus. <laughs> and you're just sitting here like, oh, my God, when did they all become such porcelain dolls? Because yeah. that's, that's what it is now. But I do agree getting back to what Mike was saying, I think that it is very easy to use that broad brush when it comes to kids. Cause there's a lot of amazing, really cool, smart kids out there who are doing the right things who aren't doing. And it's really easy in the media or just, you know, if, if you see it enough in the media or you see it enough in a TV show, you're like thinking, well, they're all little shitheads. But the fact of the matter is, is most of them are, they're just trying to find their way also. Um, and I think we're kind of pushing them a certain, like, you see kids and like, oh, she's dressed like a slut. She's got words written on her ass. But when you try to go shopping for clothes, those are your only options. It's not, you know, unless you go to like some Holly Hobby little house in a prairie store, yeah. nothing is, you know, covering the kids up appropriately, you know, and it's like, you know, for the girls. Yeah. And it's not, it's, so it's not even like they're, they're choosing these things. It's that's all they have to choose from, from what I can see. You know, everything's lace and everything's fishnet. And like in six-year-old kids, like it's ridiculous. That's what I meant to get back to before about when we were in Florida was at the bus stop because it was like there would be like 30, 40 kids. I mean, it was a lot. And and uh, all the girls because it was Florida. It's hot. You know, it's hot. It's hot down there all the time in the area that we were in. But uh, some of the clothes we were seeing, it would freak my wife and I out. We'd be like seeing these young girls. You know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old with like you know short skirts, like barely you know below the panty line, and halter tops that were yeah, like this is really. Florida. There's no panties. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no brains either. But oh, did I go there? Um, and well, that was my experience, anyways. But it, we were just shocked. We were shocked at uh, at their parents were letting these kids go out. But at the same time, it's kind of like what Mike said. If you went to the stores down there, that's all there was. I mean, you didn't – it's like whose fault is that? Is it the parents' fault because they're not demanding that stores sell more appropriate clothes? Or is it Madison Avenue I, for you know I, putting I, it in our heads? Whose fault I, is I that? I think it's – I always put this on the amazing ubiquitous communication that we have with the internet and uh, 56 channels on with nothing on, on TV and all of the rest of it. Uh, and Facebook, by the way, play, that yeah. kind of – not Facebook itself, but the social media plays a big part because – I don't think it's a parent's fault because even though I don't have a teenage daughter, thank the eternal heavens, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, I watch TV enough to see what I think is good portrayals, which is, hey, you know, uh, are you going to go out like that, the father says? And she says, yeah, I mean, every, that's what everybody does. And how do you know what everybody does? You only would have known what, you know, like if I'm from Minnesota, for example. Minnesota is not the fashion capital of the world. When I was a kid, I don't think people really knew what was going on in L.A. or Seattle or New York. But now 
it's all global. So whatever uh, anybody is doing anywhere, whether it's the tattoo, uh, you know, on the lower back, all of that stuff has been put out on uh, on the internet, on TV, everywhere. So that you know everybody's aware of that now. So this is the way people dress, and Daddy, this is the way people dress now. This is you know my skirt is no lo- higher than anybody else's. That's the, what are you going to do about that as a father? You'd look like some kind of a prude, some kind of a a Puritan if you. And it wouldn't work, by the way, because <laughs> they're always going to get their way anyway. Really, I mean that's reasonable to say. Hey, everybody looks like this now. Everybody wears this well, much makeup. Everybody looks. Hey, if I you know. I'm not going to say everybody looks like a hooker, but the fact is these kids, a lot of the uh, young girls that I see in California, for example, where it's really exacerbated, maybe in Florida too. I mean, these guys, these, these girls look like the girls that I used to look for in bars when I was like 25, you know, and now that's what they look like at 13. I'm not condemning it. This is the way it is, period. Nothing you can do about it. But it's just I, you, it, the, the the danger is is that we can really start sounding like get off my lawn. Yeah, I don't you know, wanna, it's like that's not what I mean. And, and, yeah. and it is, and, 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 but it can it can somebody you know somebody who's sixteen or thirteen and listening to this is going to be like, well, oh Jesus Christ, it's three old men you know putting you know, hopefully no one talking is. about if you're sixteen, and, don't uh, listen to this. <laughs> no, but, the, but, it, but but if you were sixteen or I was sixteen, it would probably be like. Sure. I don't know how about for you, but like girls were not allowed to wear jeans in my and I went to public school until I was probably fifth grade. You couldn't. They couldn't wear nylons when I was in high school. You could not. The kids, girls, had to wear bobby socks. I'm not saying that's you know getting back to the get off my lawn thing. Hey, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying this is the way it is now. And and really, what I'm saying is I understand why. Parents, you're you're not going to be able to do anything about it. This is the way it is. Get over it. Just make sure that the kids know what they're doing in their own minds. I guess you know that I and and, not, and, and Mike and and Mike, you have a son that you haven't even really started to go through. I mean, you still have a long ways to go yet before you even hit that whole realm. Well, he's going to be five next month, so I got. He said we have it's like basically two only children because my stepdaughter's nineteen and he, you know, he's turning five. So we're getting a little bit of every hmm. everything with them. Oh, and, and you think ahead of okay, ten years when he's fifteen, what technologies are going to be out there? What what is going to be out there offered? The good, the bad, and the ugly, hmm. uh, because it seems like uh, with all that, it's just skyrocketing the availability of everything. Do you ever get scared about that? Oh no, I guess I really try to like we limit his access to it. He you know he knows his way. He could pick up my iPod and somehow he's downloading stuff that he actually intentionally is looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like we limit most of his. You know we go to a restaurant and he's like, Daddy, how come they get to watch movies while they're eating? I'm like, because their parents are assholes. Because <laughs> 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 we're here to hang out with you. You know we don't have any of the stuff in the car where you can watch a DVD when you're going 20 minutes down the road. Um, so I think it's more about, you know, if you get them early enough to you know, realize that, yes, it's important and, yes, it's helpful in lots of ways. It's just it shouldn't be your sole source of entertainment and engagement with society. And I'm hoping that we can continue that. Well, one of the one of the cool things I noticed, like on Facebook, on your posts, as opposed to a lot of other people's and I'm not putting down other people's Facebook posts. So please, Facebook friends, don't give me a bunch of shit over this. <laughs> but I, I but I uh, there's other things I can say that you can give me shit over. Uh, but I notice a pronounced difference in like your family kind of posts as opposed to other people's where it seems like it seems like it's more of what you were just talking about of, as opposed to using the TV as the babysitter or using like the DVD player built into the back of the seats in the car to continually, you know, uh, soothe them and so forth. And I just, I just, I've always noticed, I don't know, in the four years or whatever that we've been on Facebook together, there's a huge difference in what I see you posting like family wise, as opposed to a lot of other people I see posting. And I mean that as a compliment. I think that it's really cool. They said our TV is on often. He watches, you know, first thing in the morning I turn it on because it gives me time to do what I got to do. Um, but the second he asks to do anything, like I'll try to drop what I'm doing, you know, if it's, you know, sometimes it's can you change the channel. Um, but, you know, usually if he wants to do anything constructive or creative, we, we both, we drop what we're doing, pick up the book, pick up the blocks, take them outside. You know, and, uh, you know, it's never a sit down and watch TV directive, but we don't, um, turn it off either you know if he wants it on we turn it on 
Right. I think that's fantastic because the the main thing that I see that uh, that that disturbs me is the lack of engagement with parents a lot of times. And it sounds like you've got that conquered. Um, what something that just drives me crazy. There are two things. One is when people drag their dogs around and don't allow them to sniff what they're sniffing because the dog lives through its nose. When you take it out for a walk, if you can't deal with that and and spend some time then you shouldn't have a dog. And moving on to kids, if you're sitting there with your cell phone while the kid is looking around bored in a restaurant, you're sitting in a cafe or something, and you're talking constantly on the cell phone. By the way, this is I think this is more divorced dads, actually. I get the impression. Because when does a dad take the kid out? Uh, probably. But anyway, the point is, and, and not to criticize, but just to say that you see the boredom on the kid looking around, doesn't know... Or when a parent is asked a question, like if I'm in a bakery, we have a lot of bakeries here, so you go buy your bread in a bakery, not in a supermarket. And if the kid is in there, there's, a, there's a, say, a five-year-old or an eight-year-old, and they're going, uh, Mommy, why is this bread different? And they just shut up. You know, I mean, there's, this is criminal. I mean, you should go to jail for doing that, literally. If you, they should if you, just tell them that. They should just tell them to go Google it on your little yeah, cell phone. Well, that, that would be a better response than, telling, than shushing them because – if you can't engage with your kids, now I understand you can't 24 hours a day. So there are times when you've heard like 7,000 questions and maybe you need to, you know, to, to notch it down a little bit. But, but I just feel that a lot of times people don't know what they're getting into when they have kids and they don't spend the engagement. Get off social media. Engage with your own children, for God's sake, you know, if nothing else. Well, it's also very different, though. I mean, if you look at it nowadays... In your parents' days and like in my grandparents' mm-hmm. days, dad worked. Mom didn't right, work. Right. Mom stayed home. You know, they had the kids. Mom took care of the house, did the cooking, the cleaning, managed the house, the so forth. But, you know, that whole uh, paradigm has changed now to the point where you have to have two incomes. I'm, I know I know very, very, very – I can only think of maybe two couples that I know that both aren't working. But, you know, by choice, mm-hmm. not because of, you know, being sick or something right. like that. You have to work now. I mean, you know, life is just so much different that way. And uh, so now, you know, mom's exhausted too. I mean, moms were always exhausted because mom is always has had the hardest job in the world. And that's just the way it yep. goes. You know, that's that's why moms can have kids because men are just too much of a pussy and to handle too, that. Men are too, wuss, <laughs> too much wusses to have kids. Yes. Um, but it's a vastly different world that way now. So, you know, mom and dad are both, you know, Okay, but exhausted. let me shoot a hole in that theory. You're right. You're you're 100% right. No, if you disagree uh, with me, no, no, I d- fire away. I do not disagree, but let me just shoot a hole in the validity of that by saying that when I say we're talking about Saturday when the dad is out, somehow he was compelled to take the kid to a restaurant or a cafe. We're talking like Starbucks with the muffins or some something like that. If he can't get off his cell phone long enough to deal with the kid, that isn't a matter of having to work too hard. Because, uh, well, I'm not listening to their conversations, but the point is, that is not that you're right, but that's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about when you are out with that child, you really, really need to engage with the child and you need, because you know what? You, if anybody's thinking out there, hey, what is businesses of yours? You're an old man. Why do you care? Here's why I care. Because the world, I live in this world, and I've lived here a long time, a lot longer than you guys. I don't mean you too, but anybody. <laughs> I'm old. Okay, Methuselah. I'm old. Okay, Methuselah. I'm older than dirt. No, but the point is, <laughs> this is our future, is the way the world is going to be. And uh, as I've said before, you know, kids, you've got to respect them and bring them up in a way that they're going to make a better world or at least as good a world as we had. And if you can't do that, we're in trouble. We're going to be in trouble. It's going to be a painful, painful world that we're all going to be living in. We're all sharing this planet. We're all sharing this this culture, even in the society you live in. So let's make sure that these kids grow up with a positive, reinforced, you know, nice vibe where they don't disrespect each other oh bullshit i'm not giving i'm not giving them i'm not giving them any trophies <laughs> i'm not giving them any trophies hell with that now we're going back to what we said yeah but you know there, there's a fine line there because 
there's a fine line between in, between encouraging them and saying, hey, you know, I want you to, like my niece. I mean, I want, and my, and my nephew also, he's 13. I want them to do everything with their life that they can possibly do. You know, I want Mike's boy, Eli, to do everything with his life that he can possibly do. Um, but I, I'm very leery, not of what you're saying, but uh, how do I put it? I love it? a it's good a, argument. Go ahead. Well, well the thing is, is, <laughs> because yes, they are the children are our future. No, oh my God, we're, I did let's, not let's mean, dig Whitney up. No, we'll no, dig wait, Whitney up from her I, crack grave wait, and wait, have wait, her wait, sing wait. again. I did not mean <laughs> that they have to have a hundred percent attention all the time. What I mean is that if you're going to take the kid out, you know, deal with the child, interact a minimum. Yeah, but people have always ign- people have always ignored their kids at times. Though it's like my old man on the weekends, all he wanted to do was golf. You know, and. Yeah, I'm not saying he didn't see me God, at all. It's not even weekends, a sport. But... <laughs> God, that's awful. I'm amazed you admit that. Uh, well, I feel bad for the divorced kids because basically growing up, like if I had to spend an afternoon with either one of my parents, like not that they're bad people, but it's just it would have been weird, like sitting down for dinner with your dad on a Friday night when you're 12 or 13, just because that's his time with you. It it's bad for both parties, you know, and I feel bad for those kids. Yeah, I think they are bored because neither of them knows what to say to each other. But even if they were, you know, perfectly good people, they probably wouldn't know what to say to each other because one should be out dating and the other one should be out hanging out with their friends and they shouldn't be forced to be sitting in an olive garden. Good point. Well, it's it's funny because my parents divorced when I was 12 and I stayed with my mom, obviously. And that's exactly how it was, Mike. It was exactly, it was very uncomfortable. Like my father would pick me up and we'd go to friendlies or, you know, back then friendlies or something. And, you know, and he'd ply me with crap all weekend, you know, or what, because number one, it was his way of making up, you know, for certain things. But it was always that uncomfortable thing because I knew that he had better things to do at that point. And I, it sounds terrible to say, but I knew I had better things to do <laughs> like quite what? often. I always tell my students, don't feel guilty about not wanting – just because your parents are divorced doesn't mean that your social life should stop you know, and right. work around their schedule. I said they're – you know, that's their baggage and you should still be able to enjoy sleeping over your friend's house on a Friday instead of, you know, following your dad around while he texts on his phone. Absolutely. It was funny. My wife and I were watching uh, Parenthood last night and the episode was two episodes ago and it was dealing with the whole separation thing and the kids staying for the weekend at dad's. And it was very, you know, it was a traumatic uh, event because it was their first time. And I was talking to my wife about it afterwards and I was like, you know, it kind of like made me flash back a little bit to 1974 and the weirdness at first of, of doing that also. And the, the guilt of being like, I don't want to be here right now. You know, I, I want to be with my friends or I want to be, you know, doing whatever. I want to be going to the movies or whatever. And, uh, I mean, there's not the stigma anymore of divorce like there was back then, but it's still the same emotional component though. You know, and I always feel bad for whenever I see kids that are products of divorce or, or separated homes. It is tough. I mean, it's tough enough being a kid as it is, but you throw that into the mix and it's it's not easy. You, know, you guys are right. I, I'm just realizing because I went through that exact thing and you're right. You don't necessarily, it's not because you're sitting with your dad that you have anything to say. You're right, Mike. Uh, I'm talking about kids who are younger, so they're not wanting to be necessarily out on a date, but maybe with their friends. And that's true that... Uh, which you just said, Jim, too. I did have to go on the weekend, visit my dad when I was 15 or 16. And uh, it's true that the conversation was not necessarily uh, always right there. We both were interested in technology. So we found this shared interest. I think I brought that to him, actually. Pretty sure I did. Kind of ham radio and all that kind of thing. So then we had this kind of common bond type deal that we had going and we were able to do that now whatever that would be today but backing up on my rant about uh, the dad talking on the cell phone i guess the real solution is really simple just get the kid a cell phone even if he's nine and then he won't be looking around at the restaurant he'll be maybe or put your phone away they should have like some kind of a thing that blocks like if two a parent and a kid are out that both phones are there they kind of disengage each other because I don't own a phone. I'm one of the few people on the planet who does not have a cell phone. You have my respect. And I said, and there's, I, part of it is, you know, I probably would be one of those people. You know, I said, you know, looking for stuff and, you know, if I'm, if I have five minutes of downtime, I'm going to fill it, you know, with something I can find on the screen. But since I don't, now I'm forced to actually 
pay attention to my surroundings and if we're in a supermarket, my son wants to shake every single coconut in the pile to make sure there's juice in them and then he has to weigh them. And, you know, so we spend a half an hour, we're not even buying coconuts, you know, but it's like, you know, it's one of those things where by not having the phone, I think it makes me do things that I probably wouldn't if I did have it. I think that's fantastic because I can remember one of the few really great memories I had with my dad, something that I can remember from when I was a little kid is he took me to a diner and we he gave me he ordered franks and beans or something that was probably a dish in those days you know and he and he showed me he put ketchup and mustard in the beans and mixed them up and the point is who cares that's not the point the point was that <laughs> that we had this moment where he actually did something. If he had had a cell phone then and he was talking on it, he wouldn't have ever done that. See what I'm saying? So what you just said is is a perfect example. You don't have the phone. So shaking the coconuts together, for all you know, he'll remember that 50 years from now. I don't know, you know? As long as you have these moments, you don't have to have every moment. It doesn't have to be like that. But I think it's fantastic that just that one thing you mentioned makes me smile, makes me think back to that, that thing I just said about the Franks and Beans. Uh, maybe. And it's funny, I learned after two years of shaking coconuts, <laughs> his ulterior motive, he saw somewhere in like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, he keeps pointing to a certain one, uh-huh. and he's waiting for me to pull the bottom one out and have the whole pile go rolling down across the aisle. <laughs> yeah, well, you should. And I just learned that like two months ago. He said, like, oh, they didn't fall. I thought that was going to be the one that was going to make them fall. That's like, funny. You were trying to set me up. He's like, That's hilarious. One of the cool things that, and I keep wanting to do it, and I keep chickening out every year at the end of January, Mike takes uh, Facebook free February, and he doesn't post at all. And, you know, it's like I always miss seeing his stuff the whole month and all that because we're always, we're probably two of the more smart-assy people (laughs) on there. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for taking those breaks. I'm a a tech hound. I have, uh, you know, two laptops a computer, a tablet, cell phone, uh, iPod, the whole nine yards. I'm like connected all the time. Yet there's so often that I almost wish that I, I wasn't like I like Mike is the only he's the only one of only two adults I know in my at all who don't have a cell phone. And I think back to like 20 years ago when my wife and I were first together and I had like nine or ten magazine subscriptions, <laughs> bought all my books I used to get like the New York Post, the New York Daily News, and USA Today, and Hartford Current every day. Four newspapers every single day. And my wife and I were just starting off together. And she's like, she'd be looking around the house, and she's like, "It's because I smoked back then too." It's like, God, it's such a fire hazard here <laughs> because I'd have like these stacks and stacks of newspapers, and she'd finally bitch at me that they're like falling over, and that the magazines like piled up and all. And so I don't have any of that anymore because I read everything digitally. I don't think I've bought a newspaper in some years. Only Playboys but, now, right? No, no, no. You have a digital. You can get a digital subscription right. for that too. Uh, I know. I know a guy who writes. A, and I won't go anywhere. I know a guy who and, writes but, a wine column for Playboy. The site Playboy.com. But but uh, but there's many times I thought about wow, it was so much quieter when I could just like kick back on my couch. Or I could just kick back in my chair and pull up the latest, like say Rolling Stone or right. the, or you know the newspaper or something like that, and just read them and not be like I might have the music playing, but that was it. But now it's like my wife is like, oh my god, I'll have the TV on, I'll have the stereo on, I have a I have two both of my laptops like right now I have two laptops going and a tablet because I got all these different things going, and she's like. You, you have you ever been tested for ADD? And I'm like, no. everybody's. They gone. didn't. They, they didn't have that when I was a kid, or I wasn't diagnosed, anyways. But no, it's LCD or LED. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. So, but I do. I I long for that in one sense, but I don't know that I could do that. I mean, I know I could give up, like, say, Facebook or Google Plus or something like that for a month. You know, I can do that. But to go without a cell phone now, I forgot it last week when I went grocery shopping and I thought I was going to have a freaking conniption fit. <laughs> I'm in the store when I realized I didn't have my phone. And all of a sudden I'm like, are you kidding me? You made it through the first 40 years of your life almost without one because I'm 52 now. It's like you made it almost 40 years without it. And now all of a sudden you're in a grocery store and losing your shit because you don't have your cell phone with you. And the thing is, I didn't. I never call. I make literally two to three cell phone calls a month. And I'm not kidding. That's it. I text. I don't talk to anybody. I don't even talk to my wife 
on the phone. I just text. I'm a text, you know, I'll probably throw out 20, 30 texts a day, but I don't use it to call. But I felt in the store like I was going to lose my shit altogether because I might need to make a phone call. I just might need to. Or I might need to check something on Google for a, for a food product. And it's like, that's just insane. That's just absolutely insane. My wife and I you know, both went from people who made fun of everybody who had cell phones to, you know, spending a lot of our time looking. I, I noticed that she's not looking at her email. Of course, she, she has a professional reason for doing this. I don't anymore. But uh, she'll look at her emails over the weekend or even first thing in the day. You know, some statistic came out that 40% of all people uh, are on Facebook before they get out of bed, for example, stuff like that. And uh, Getting back to this ADD thing. I wait, I, wait, I wait until after I pee and then I get out. <laughs> well, there's good reason for that. But I don't know what it is. Just thought it sounded funny to me in my mind. We, I think we're a society of ADD now. I mean, I think that that's just part of everybody's thing, except for people like Mike who have resisted. I, I think it's probably not a bad idea to resist if you can. I do know a couple of people who do not have cell phones or who have them strictly for emergency, like they have it in a car and they test it like once a month to make sure it even works, but they literally do not talk. I personally don't talk either on the phone very much. I may call my wife if I need to for some, if we need to talk for some reason. When she's on the road, I will, we, we will talk every evening and maybe sometimes in the morning. But basically, I, call, phone calls are utilitarian for me. And as much as I can, I prefer texts because they're, they're non-intrusive. A little bit like when the fax first came out, you thought, well, I can send a fax. It's non-intrusive. It, com- it comes in and if the person isn't, you know, it's not going to wake anybody up. It's not going to bother anybody. And when they're ready, they'll read it. Well, now email has replaced that. And SMS has replaced it. And pretty soon it'll just be all kinds of IM that replace it. So now, Mike, are you? Would you consider yourself a semi-ludite? Because you ride a bike to work. You ride a bike to work too, don't you? That's cool too. I have tons of technology. It's just I, <laughs> the cell phone is the one thing that I just I don't have. I have like I think I was just counting as you were talking. About, I think I have seven laptops in my house. <laughs> That's um, funny. iPods, I, you know, iPads, a Kindle Fire. Um, I don't use them all that often. I listen to music a lot on my iPod because it's convenient. Um, but you know, I said I definitely am intrigued by technology, and I like the whiz factor. You know, there's certain things like oh, cool. But I don't rush out to buy the latest thing. I really, you know, I'm happy with, you know, my MacBook Pro from five years ago. And then this, you know, I have to buy new things only because TurboTax no longer works with that operating system. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Right. But uh, I'm definitely not anti-technology. It's just anti-phone, I guess, is my one stance that I've taken and stuck with. Well, it's funny. It's because of technology, actually, that Mike and I ended up hooking up because uh, I became a uh, friends with his cousin on Facebook because she's a big animal uh, right yeah, she's a big animal. big animal and uh, yes Renee <laughs> hi Renee she she's wonderful she's just awesome so one I was homesick from work with the flu and I put out a Facebook recommend I'm like I, I just got a Kindle fire uh, for Christmas and I need a book recommend and so Renee jumped on a couple of minutes later Oh, you got an alchemy. You got, and she saw Mike wrote this book, Alchemy, and she's like, "It's you can get it on Kindle now, the uh, the whole nine yards." So she sent me the link to it, and I went and I spent the next couple of days uh, pretty sick with the flu, and I it's a, it's a long book. How long is it, Mike? Like five six hundred pages. <laughs> Three sixty, but I guess it felt. Three sixty? No, no. For some reason, I was thinking because I was reading it on the Kindle. <laughs> so because each page does not equal a page. That's the one bad thing about like yeah. Kindles is you can't get. So it does make it seem like it's longer in page counts because they're not full page. So I read this and I absolutely loved uh, the book. And I posted a review on Amazon thinking, you know, that was never, you know, that was it. Okay, you know, I loved this. You know, it's a coming of age story kind of in Cape Cod in the 80s. And uh, and Mike responded back uh, to my review. And so and then from there, we ended up uh, hooking up on Facebook. So that in that sense, the technology is kind of like really fun and really cool. That's, you know because you can have something like that and so now like we get along really well on Facebook and it's and you know he stopped by my house not long ago and left me an apple on my uh, <laughs> doorstep and then like, in my little statue on there because his, his son had to poop um, <laughs> true story um, but it was all because of technology so 
technology giveth and taketh and giveth back again. Um, we need to master. Yeah, I, 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 was like, I went to my 25th high school reunion, and a lot of people that I haven't seen in 25 years, I've still been in contact with on Facebook. So you finally get together after 25 years, and it's like, so what's new? And you know, you already know everything, you know. So it's kind of like it took that part of the, all the go-to conversations that you would normally have with people you haven't seen in 25 years, and kind of erase them all because now you're like, you already know what their kid just, you know, got a black belt in karate, and you already know that their wife is doing this. So it's kind of it took now it puts you into an actual real conversation about what's happening now as opposed to catching up. And it's nice to stay in touch with people like that because it really has opened up a lot of doors for people and kept people, you know, feeling like they're part of a family even if they're far away. It's, I, I love that part of it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I I have other other than my wife's family here in Connecticut. I don't have and my, the nearest family. I have a couple in Michigan and a rest are in Texas and Florida. And frankly, in all honesty, if it wasn't for Facebook, you know. The, the contact level would be extremely low. It was extremely low before that. So for all the, you know, and there's downsides to it, obviously, you know, but that's part of life too. You know, you you take the technology. We don't live in an era now where you've never, you never leave your village. You know, you know, 200 years ago, people never went more than five or 10 miles from where they lived. You know, maybe 20 miles from where they lived. We don't live in that tech, you know, in that age anymore. So you, you know, you, you do what you need along the way to stay in touch because, again, you know, everybody works and all that. But it was so that was my introduction w- with Mike on that. And I got to tell you, I know he doesn't like like pimping his books and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you, Alchemy, get it. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. It's on uh, well, it's on Amazon. You can get it in Kindle and paperback and all that kind we'll of stuff. We'll put a link in the blog post. Um, do I talk about it for a second, Mike, or no? Well, um, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was a fun book. I had a great experience with it. It's a uh, you know, if you grew up in the '80s, it'll bring back a lot of memories. And if you didn't, it'll make you wish you did. <laughs> that's an excellent, well, I, I, excellent as a product of as a product of divorce i think that's maybe why it spoke to me so much because it w- built within a story without taking things away i think that's one of the reasons as a guy i was really able to identify so much with it i mean i don't think it had to be on the cape in ni- in 1984 or whatever it was to really be able to get something out of it um it was really cool so Definitely, we should. We do need to put a link. We to it, will put a link. I think. I think. I think it's a really cool book, and I can't wait for your next one. Are you working well, on? So. Are you working on the next one, Mike? It's funny. I've been actually partnered, similar to what James is talking about. It ties in nice with the communication. Um, when that book came out, another person had contacted me, just you know, saying, "Oh, I loved your book," and you know, really brought back a lot of memories. And just something about his voice and his little email, you know, kind of clicked with me, and we just started a little email, you know, communication going back and forth. And after about two years of that, I, I approached him with an idea that I had had for a story that was simmering for since I was in college, and, you know, back in the 90s, that I never had the time or the inclination to really pursue. And I said, you know, maybe if we like partner up on it, so we'll do like a, you write one chapter, I'll write the next, you write the next, and we'll go back and forth. And so we've been doing that for the past two years now. And we're uh, one final, I just have to write the last chapter and then we're done. So uh, that's great. It's an interesting thing. I never met him. I, we met one time about six months ago. In a, you know, we had a lot of bad, it's hard writing a book with yourself, never mind somebody else. You know, you get really protective of certain things. And we had a couple fallouts, a couple blowouts, but never having once met each other. And you never know if the tone and the email was really attacking you or if it was just sarcastic. And, you know, when we met in person, it was, it was fun, but uh, it was an interesting experience. And like I said, we're, we're pretty close to being done. That's fantastic. Is that the, that's great. Is that the one you were telling, that's the one you were telling me about yesterday or the day before? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two guys, uh, Two Americans are set like the very distant, very near future where uh, the United States is finally, after resisting for hundreds of years, going to convert to the metric system. And uh, these two guys are like dead set against it. And they decide they're going to go to France and steal the uh, kilogram standard, which is the only physical object that exists that's like a standard of measure. Everything else is based on like, you know, constants in the universe. And they have the idea if we steal it, that we can kill the metric system and then the United States won't have to convert. So it's like a silly, you know, they're a bunch of buffoons trying to do something that has really no hope for success. That sounds like an awesome concept. I can't wait for it. Dude, was it going to be like later this year or early next yeah, year? Yeah, like I said, we, we're just doing the, the vomit draft, you know, so we got to go back and revise. And uh, yeah. it was a nice setup because the two characters, so each chapter is in the point of view of one man. So he took one character, I took the other, and we set each other up a lot. 
And like he oh. introduced the dog in the beginning of the story, and I'm like, I'm gonna kill that dog. So every chapter, I, I'd start. My character's car suddenly had a radiator leak, and he was keeping a bucket to catch the radiator drippings, thinking because that's poisonous to dogs. And so I could set that up later. I'm gonna kill your dog. <laughs> and he was every he kept protecting the dog, you know, and it was so it was fun like that. And I don't know how much of that'll make the final cut because then it was more for our own humor. But uh, it was an interesting experience. Like I said we're winding down now, and we'll I'm guessing another six months of revision. Now, uh, usually at the, what we do is at the end of the show, uh, we like to do a recommends. So I was hoping recommend a book. The Circle, David Eggers. All about what we were just talking about, technology and how Facebook takes over the world. Scary, scary, but really fun read. I thought, you know, I read about that last year, and I, it was one of those books that I think I put on my uh, Kindle list at the time and, and just never got around to doing it. So, okay. Uh, In Beck's new uh, CD. Awesome. Beck's new. He was on uh, the other night on... He was on some show the other night. I can't remember who it was. I've I've only heard the one song so far and loved it. So yes, I'm definitely going to have to. Very beautiful. It's a nice. Uh, it's perfect for this time of year. Like you know, because it's kind of cold, but you know, spring is coming. And it's got that same kind of vibe going on where it's not. You know, it's not the most upbeat stuff, but it's not depressing. Okay. Cool. It's, uh, Randy, any recommendations? Uh, since we're talking music, I will give one. Uh, this is a guy who I consider to be one of the greatest guitar players in the world, who's not there, very well known. Sonny Landreth, L-A-N-D-R-E-T-H. He plays slide guitar. It's kind of a Cajun. He's from the South, maybe Louisiana or someplace like that. And uh, it's fantastic stuff. And I went and saw him. Funny little story. I was in lived in Paris for years, and in Paris there was a club called the Chesterfield, which I think was sponsored by the tobacco company. We went in there, and it was so crowded that they couldn't even, there was no there was no cover charge. Uh, the club was so busy that we saw the entire concert for like 90 minutes, and the waitress couldn't get to us to take orders. She, they just were overpowered. So here was this world-class concert. He came in. And the guy is just totally unpretentious. He wears glasses, and he looks like a kind of a geeky guy. He is one of the ultimate virtuosi of uh, slide guitar. Sonny Landreth, L-A-N-D-R-E-T-H. He's got millions of albums out, but he's only known by really uh, kind of a niche audience. So, Sonny Landreth. But sometimes, though, that's fun, though. It's fun, though, when, I mean, because anybody can throw, okay, the Rolling Stones or Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. But to me, it's more fun a lot of times to throw out somebody who's smaller and who might you might see, like, in a club, playing in a Mm -hmm. club or something like that, where you're not, you know, it's not YouTube with 50,000 people, which is great. I mean, that's that's fine and all that stuff. But uh, you know who I've always wanted to see and who I would always recommend would be – because of his records, but I've never seen him live, is Joe Jackson. I've heard a lot about him. I've heard a lot about and, him. Uh, and, and I know that he's a longer ago, but uh, what recommend for me right now, it's this group called uh, Tired Pony. I mean, they're mm-hmm. kind of like this super group of uh, indie artists and so forth. Uh, but Tired Pony, if you uh, go to Google Play or you go to uh, Amazon or Spotify or things like that, it's... Uh, Acoustic based, but there's some uh, rocking stuff in there as well. So that would be my recommend this week. Very cool, Mike Wood. Did we deluge you with uh, too much information and uh, not enough uh, interaction, or what's have? How'd you feel? No, that was fun. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I said you were talking about phones before. I never talk on the phone. I'm not a talker. I'm a listener. So this is kind of uh, out of my comfort zone, but it. It went well. You probably talked more just now than you have all week on uh, on any device. Yeah, I got my <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It was really a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, guys. Hey, man. Thank you so much for participating. It was a lot of fun. Next time, answer the damn door. I will. <laughs> Tell Eli I'm sorry he couldn't take a dump at my house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Later. We'll be back. Later. We'll be back with another Leave the Bottle. But in the meantime, leavethebottlepodcast.com. You can find us also on Stitcher or iTunes. Give a review. If you hate it, tell everybody that you hate it. If you love it, tell everybody you love it. If, you, if Even if you are in the middle of those two, say something. It'd be great to have a review that would call a little attention to the things. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.